Welcome to Tech Over Africa with Wangare Njadi. This is one woman's take on the story of the rising digital economy in Africa. On the show, we talk to expert guests on all things tech. Is tech uptake in Africa all good, all bad, or somewhere in between? Join us as we interrogate and make sense of the policies that guard our interests. Disruption is often a messy process. So where will we be once the dust settles? Before we get started, I'd like to mention that the DST episode was set out initially to just be a single episode. We decided to split this into two episodes. Teddy, I want to come back to you really quickly and ask, how does infringement to people's privacy play out with the KRA surveillance? Is, that, is this legal? Is this normal, like what they did to that lady that Anto was speaking about? So, so for me, the, the first, even before I address your issue, the first point would be, you know, there are no guidelines to guide how this tax is going to be applied with the right to be forgotten. Mm. You, you know, the right to be forgotten is now known. Right. That anything mm. you post internet, just like any normal human being, you expect that those things you put 20 years ago, should be forgotten. You know, you, yeah. they have not said, okay, we are going to cap our investigation to this date. Right. There's nothing like that. All right. So they have not taken time to say, okay, we are going to implement the right to be forgotten. They, okay. The unfortunate bit with this issue of DST and surveillance, you know, anything you post on, uh, on social platform, you have given you your right mm. privacy on it. Right. This it becomes public information. Public, and the moment it goes to public information, they, then you have no control of whoever accesses it. What mm. you have control of is the rights that you enjoy in that publicity. So, for example, if they came and said, okay, we have seen you ascending, give us seven pairs of shoes, then you took them, what they cannot now start doing is Preaching your right at that point when you're now with them. That, that, that should not be. Mm. What you're posting in public, then, you know, that becomes uh, public information. Now, they should even now ask at that point, is this thing even yours? Right. Because you may find most of the people who are now trading online, they have workers. You know, I may have a shop online. I'm an advocate. I have assigned a different person to be trading mm -hmm. on behalf. Right. So if they call that person, you know, they're not targeting the real owner. So some of those questions is what they have also not addressed because they have mm. just that this is the digital service provider. They have also detailed that this is the digital market provider. Yeah. But they have not gone to the root of the person. And is it right? the same government that is supposed to be protecting any Kenyan on the internet platform from issues of ethics and social justice, you know, pay gaps, exploitation, blacklisting, cyberbullying, and the list goes on and on in terms of digital harms. So where does, from again, from a legal perspective, uh, to what extent can the government come in and protect these digital workers or entrepreneurs? So first, the laws that are currently on, they have not addressed each and every aspect of the digital protection. All right. So we have uh, child online protection regulations, and remember, even as crime increases, they are trying to use these already existent laws, all right? And the only one that is applicable is the cyber 
cybercrime and telecommunication act. You know, those, those two acts are what now people are now applying, but they're not sufficient to address some of these issues. Right. So for me, as things are emerging, we need to then have an improvement of those uh, laws to be able to protect. But I agree with you, the government should offer that protection. Now, do we have policemen who understand? No. <laughs> oh, no, please don't. <laughs> Somebody, I'll give a story quickly. Somebody went and said, oh, we went to Central Police Station and said somebody has stolen my images. And, you know, yeah. like a copyright issue. And, and the person mm -hmm. was reporting this issue to have happened on Instagram. The first question the police asked was, where is this Instagram? We go and arrest the person. Instagram was assumed to be a person. <laughs> So is this the same police you're sending to arrest me? We are technologically advanced in comparison to other African countries. But please, when you don't know what Instagram is, I have a problem. There's a university whose Facebook account was hacked and they had to leave it. You know, <laughs> tell you that. Yeah, imagine. Yeah. You fight back. You Really? And I think it goes back to what Anto was saying. There is no space to actually air your grievances. Because even the government itself has not created those safe spaces where anybody, any Kenyan really, can actually go and say, this is the issue I'm facing on online platforms. I want to be protected. We know people who have actually committed suicide. You know, we know people who have left uh, social media platforms completely or gone into mental illness. There are no frameworks, like we're saying, to protect these people. I want to say something very important. I think... The government, as usual, comes from a very reactionary approach. There is never proactiveness. By the time they're signing deals and contracts with the big tech to come and set up shop in Kenya, have they actually done, again, the due diligence and the process and said, for you to set shop in Kenya, mm. these are the requirements. My people must be protected. Remember what happened with Samasos? These are, was, was like an outsourced agency where Facebook ha had contracted them to be doing let me say their dirty work of cleaning, like, you know, really bad content not to get out to the public. But remember, these people are also being underpaid. And this is happening right under the nose of the Kenyan government. Facebook has outsourced mm. an agency in Nairobi downtown for people to curtail content from going outside. But they're underpaying these people and exposing them to things that you should never see. And, yeah. and it's happening right in Kenya. So when we talk about regulation, there's a lot of loopholes. And for me, my conclusion is there's a lot of reactionary uh, response. And unfortunately, in, in the case of at least Sama is, is, is a good story because in the sense that they, go, they have gone to courts and they have challenged existing labor regulations around the way they were treated by Facebook in terms of employment, etc. to see Facebook basically saying, well, actually, it's not our problem. Deal with Sama. Sama. You know, they're trying to essentially outsource that problem and make it someone else's issue. But, and Teddy would actually know this better than I am, because I just look at the data in terms of the case, the case handling processes that go through the judiciary. And one trend that has always bugged me is if you look at the number of cases that are filed, and then the one which are pending and the ones which are disposed of, the fact is that the Kenyan judiciary is simply not disposing of cases no. as fast as they're coming in, right? So if you look uh -huh. at the year-on-year -year increase, I think from 2021, 2022, the number of cases filed went up by 11%. But if you look at the number of pending cases, right, the ones which still have not yet had a proper resolution, either kicked out or we have a conviction, you know, something has happened. That number has gone up by over 100,000 cases between wow. end of wow. 2017 
and end 2022. Now, if you have 664,000 cases pending by the end of last year, to go back to your point, Wangari, where's, where's the justice? Where's this judiciary system going to even have the time of day to sit down if Teddy shows up and says, look, my client has had, for the sake of argument, like, this, and this is something we're actually grappling with to some extent in our industry. You can see it with the SAG after the strike of the actors and actors and writers in Hollywood. If I sign up Anthony Saul and I tell him, come onto the set, do a shoot for one day, and I've got it essentially, and I make an AI clone of him. If I do that in Kenya, right? Strictly speaking, to some extent, it's a bit extra legal. Have I stolen his likeness? Right. Have I not stolen his likeness? But even if he wants to go to court and challenge that, right? 664,000 cases in the backlog. Where is he yeah. going to find the time for that justice? 50 years right? later. It, by, the time, by the time justice has been served, there's, he's, until he's in Indian movies. <laughs> Precisely. I, I, as, as, a, as a producer, I will have milk your AI likeness and your yeah. voice clone likeness for all yeah. its worth. I have made my money. You haven't gotten justice. And that is the problem that we're facing. I don't want to digress. When we talk about like laws that actually matter, we talk about targeting, you know, a shot in the arm, the real vaccines that actually matter. It's, it's good that you've said that. Let's even go further now and think about cybersecurity. When we talk about, for example, and somebody said, forget even about Anto's likeness. Forget about Rama's voice. Forget about Teddy's uh, voice and praying and using him, uh, you know, for whatever. Forget about Wangari's likeness. What if now you have people who are making calls to children, asking them to leave a classroom mm. to meet a parent, uh, you know, outside of the gate, in their parents' voices? What you have when, when, when people will get called in the house saying, get out of, of the house, uh, I've already reached here, I'm packing, come and see me outside. And, the, and this kid opens the door thinking it's a father. My reason for digressing is to say that a lot of times, like you say, we are so concerned about the people who are making money through AI and this new technology and how it can make us money, but also not understanding what is this technology and what repercussion does it have on right. our people before we begin to go for the money that can be out, can be gotten from this uh, platform. Yeah. And this is where the loopholes with the Facebooks and the Amazons come into play because now when we talk about a conducive environment, we're not talking about a conducive environment. That's just business talk. What we're talking about is an exploitative environment that the big companies can be able to outsource and like Rama said, outsource problems here right. and then leave it to us to deal with the repercussions. And this is not news. Like this is information that is known globally. Digital colonialism, you know, the big tech, developed countries versus underdeveloped as they call them. It's not new. So by the time Facebook is coming to set shop in Kenya or any other of the big techs, what kind of deals, you know, and, and partnerships are signed? What kind of contracts? Yeah. Is yeah. the government signing with these yeah. people? Are they just concerned about the money, yeah. foreign investment and taxation, and not about its own people? Mm -hmm. Again, we get to be mm -hmm. the grass in between when two bulls are fighting. <laughs> right. Gary, yeah. you know, the people who sign and go to the international countries to even engage on this contract, one, they go there for vacation. <laughs> That's true. All right? So they, they don't. Ask themselves, what am I signing? Right. What am I binding my country in this particular contract? Yeah. Go, go, go enjoy. Uh -huh. 
get per DMs because I've had people saying, ah, by the way, I'm going for a trip. The per DM I'm getting is even more than my salary. So wow. that's what they're concerned yeah. about. You, you yeah. see, so they, they, they're not interested. So when they come and now it affects them, that's when they begin thinking, okay, this thing is actually illegal. But what do they do? Mm. Mm-hmm. When they are affected, they are the ones who then now corrupt justice. Mm-hmm. All right? Yep. They go to a judge and say, I'm having a challenge with this particular thing. I want you to help me. But the judge they are going to also does not understand this aspect. So the judge may either refer them to a particular thing or they, the judge, because of lack of understanding, may rule against him. All right? Yeah. Yeah. Or because of a lack of a proper regulation, may rule against it. And as Rama is saying, if a judge does not understand what will happen, or if the advocate does not understand, right. the advocate will keep postponing that case until yeah. they get an ending or until yeah. some form of reconciliation is achieved. Right. Yeah. Or just even like exhaustion from, for example, now the digital content creators. What, what happens with a lot of governments when they drag along this story is exhaustion because even you as an advocate said, if, if I stop calling you about the issue, you'll know I'm exhausted. Even courts have systems where they don't want witnesses to be exhausted when they have serious, it doesn't matter how serious the court case is, you'll get tired. It, you know? It's an interesting point you raise, Anto, because what's, what's happening now, and to some extent, it, it feels for me as an observer, it almost feels like it's the... The policymakers are banking on that frustration, right? One. Yep. And also two, yep. the problems in getting access to having the, the resources that you need to provide quality legal representation. Not everyone will have the ability to go to Teddy and say, look, I need to do some public interest litigation here. We're fighting this specific law and it's going to be, you don't know how long it's going to take. Right. So for instance, if you think about last year, it's only in 2022 that the High Court of Believe in Mombasa finally ruled against the government and said, no, 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 you cannot continue to be hiding against the guise of national security to say that Kenyan taxpayers who are servicing loans that the Kenyan government took in their name, $3 billion plus, remember, to build this 470-something kilometer line from Nairobi to Mombasa at hideously expensive rates. You cannot keep hiding under national security to say that these people have no business knowing what terms you signed on. And to date, to date, government still has not complied with that ruling yeah. at all. But if you think about that yeah. entire process, right, the, the, the construction of the rail line and the signing of those initial contracts took place at least 10 years before that. Now, how wow. many people, how many organizations have the legal patience and the financial resources right. to go to law, right. to, 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 to law firms and say, I don't know how long this is going to take. I need you to be on retainer, but we're going to push this and pursue this case for another yeah. 10 years. Oh. So and another local example right now, we know that the, the 2023 Finance Act, which is this legal instrument that gives the government the ability to impose taxes for the next fiscal year, right, mm-hmm. has been suspended. In fact, it was suspended. It's been suspended for the last uh, two weeks. But on the 30th of June, the energy regulator amended the price of fuel and they cited the sus- that very act suspended. which had been suspended. At the time, and at the time, they said, no, no, but we haven't been served. Last night, Literally at 11 p.m., they changed prices again. And they kept saying, no, no, this is in compliance with the 16% VAT that, you know, is in the 2023 finance acts. Now, even for, for non-legal people like myself, I know that you cannot cite ignorance right. as a defense in court. It will simply not fly. 
And yet, one of the reasons why agencies like EPRA, among other government agencies, can get into this kind of nonsense is because from their perspective, again, if you look at it as a cost of doing business problem, yeah, what I'm doing is fundamentally wrong. It's imposing costs on households and businesses. But who's actually going to come and challenge right. me and mm. impose those legal, those very personal costs on me mm. as a policymaker? Policy more often than not, no one. So they keep going. Get, it's essentially an incentive for them to get away with it. It's, there's also that thing of like, like I said, when, when they, after they're done, wondering, like, let's see how far we can stretch this. Are the advocates, are the lawyers, are they going to keep the judiciary in check? You know, is the LSK in bed with government? Is the church going to keep the state in check? Are the digital content creators going to, you know, bring put their bills out there? Are they well represented? So it's it's an issue of let's see how far we can also, like you're saying, let's just see. You know, it's like when someone insults you, they want to see your reaction. Uh-huh. Now they throw a stone at you. Will you turn? So they keep pushing the envelope, but only to the detriment of the citizen but not pushing the envelope when it comes to the expenditure of the taxes. Nothing on accountability. Just yeah. let's see how much we can, we can milk from these people. I mean, guys, with all due respect, nobody is okay when anybody riots or protests. But the fact that there's eight, nine people who, whose lives are lost, whose families are shattered. But the first thing the minister of roads did was he didn't, they did not go to check on those families if you guys, I tell you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. In fact, he actually, he actually came out like literally barely 24 hours later. He's already giving us Thank, an please, estimate it was not even t- on it was not even it's, it's seven, it's five to seven hundred million, five, sorry, five, five million dollars worth of damage. Five million dollars. I don't know a quantity surveyor who works that fast. Oh, I'm sorry. God. I don't know. I mean, he literally, the guy was dropped at Mlolongo <laughs> from JK, so at JKIA, walked all the way to Mlolongo and within those few 15 minutes, he already knew that the cost of construction, reconstruction of, of flower pots, which we never even asked for, that's expressway, <laughs> is going to be around $5 million. And on top of that, stays immediately. This will be, will be started by the taxpayer. And by the way, we have contracts saying that if anything happens on this uh, expressway, the Kenyan taxpayer will pay and we will know how, we'll find a way how for them to pay. And, and neither you, nor I, nor Teddy, have we ever seen any of these, these, these operational contracts? Because I haven't. Nothing. And yet the same constitution <laughs> says <laughs> that we, we, because it's literally our money. If you're going to take, I'm sorry, it's very simple. No taxation yeah. without representation, but you also have to provide your receipts. Thank if you. you're going to tell me yes. that I'm going to use your money for X, Y, Z, so right. show me the paperwork. If you can't yeah. show me the paperwork, the, you have no business same, coming to tell me I'm going to take money out of our pockets. The same minister, whilst in government opposition, if you remember, because the only country in the world where somebody can be in power and be in opposition. When he was in power and still in opposition, he was fighting tooth and nail every single day in the mainstream media to have the government to release the contracts of expressway, release the contracts of the ports. Every single day, he was always fighting for these things to be released. Now he's in government. How he's telling us that this is a part of the preconditions of these contracts and we will pay for it. I don't even know where he's getting this. Now he has access to the contract. Instead of fighting for the sovereignty of these people, vis-a-vis this contract, which he said was never for the, for the power of the people. Now he's reminding us how we will pay based on this contract that he fought to the nail to not be implemented 
uh, for the Chinese. Now, and please note, we are also living in a country where the Auditor General, the Auditor General, who I will call the accountant numero uno in maybe East, all of East Africa, she's, she told a parliamentary committee that according to her books, she does not see any numbers or as, as far as debt is concerned in this country. This is an ongoing conversation in this country where the Auditor General has said, as far as this is concerned, in my books, I do not see, I, there are no numbers to show the debts we owe or debts accrued. In the same, same breath, we also have leaders who have come out, including leaders like Senator Okio Mtota, who I greatly respect, who has said that Kenya has paid its debts to the fullest. In fact, now we are just swimming in extra money. You know that money where if you're in a Kenyan school, now the principal can buy for you guys bread because now we are about to close school and there's some money in the exchequer. We are being told by senators and people of good standing, like Senator Kiyom Tata, that the country is not swimming in debt and we have overpaid our debt. Explain to me the same scenario where we are now introducing means and ways of taxing people. Who is telling the truth? Who is right. lying? And who is who? Should we even pay this debt until all this nonsense is sorted? Right. Who do we run to? You know, what Rama said is, if you look at our Contempt of Court Act, which, by the way, was declared unconstitutional. Uh, wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we are in jeopardy. Why would any judge want that? And why would any judge... What's that unconstitutional? Why would any oh. judge in the world? <laughs> Can you guys you see we are beyond that, like... being saved by anybody? We cannot save ourselves and nobody... Yeah, we're beyond saving. We're on the no. next thing, whatever that is. If you look at that act, the maximum amount of sentence that was prescribed is two mic, two million. Now, if you were to charge the CEO of EPRA with two million, he will produce it within a minute. Yeah. Okay? So that's a fine. Yeah. You say, okay, what do I have to lose? The amount is two million. And remember, it's not coming from his pocket. It will be paid by the oil marketers. Yeah. Yes. The oil marketers don't have the money because remember, they're still owed tens of billions of shillings in oil subsidies. No, no, no. On this one, they, they, they'll pay because they'll say, they'll pay. you see, Rap, Rama, sorry, I sorry, Teddy. Again, it's yes. politics. It's about who is in power to pay my debts? Iru, the current government, I mean, paid with them. They'll pay my debt. So the guy will go on WhatsApp, you know, tell Teddy, Teddy, don't worry, make her up or come out and kill me. Let me yeah. show you. He WhatsApps the oil marketers and says, guys, do you want this amount to stay up? I want two million. <laughs> you see, pay. that means that all these government officials will treat us with contempt. Yeah. When they treat us with contempt, that's what you can see even Murkomen coming and saying, you know, you guys, you would pay. If it was yes. punitive enough, and uh, I don't want to go to the extreme of China, but if it was punitive enough and say someone will be changed, there's no opportunity of a fine. Yeah. I know from experience, the people who fear jail the most are these politicians. Yes. Even for a single day, someone staying in jail, <laughs> come with medical record to tell you that, you know, I am diagnosed with diabetes. I, I have cancer. <laughs> yes, that's, that's true. <laughs> so the best solution would be let's strengthen our contempt of court processes. 
mm. and you'll see compliance. All right, you'll see compliance. Compliance will automatically come. And this bribery should also actually stop. Because if, for example, somebody is put in jail, unfortunately for Bardo, he really enjoyed eh, the time he was in jail. Bingo Bardo really enjoyed. Because he yeah. the capacity, so you can easily even eat a decent meal. Yeah. But if you are subjected to deplorable conditions, then everyone will come out and say, by the way, let's comply with this thing. I think even the churches are not aligning themselves to the beliefs they hold. Because if they were, then people will preach and tell these guys, no, let's not stand to this. Let's stand against yeah. what's happening to just protect the society. Yeah. So basically yeah. what we're saying is that the promise of the Kenyan digital economy, and this is actually documented in what they call the Kenyan digital economy blueprint, is contradictory to the reality on ground, basically because there is no legal framework to achieve whatever objectives and mandate that the government has set for the country, right? That's the long and short of it. We are just basically reproducing corruption, you know, politics, politicizing the entire digital economy. So the idea that Kenya is technologically advanced is only true to a fault. But when you start digging deeper, you actually realize it's, it's not, right? And it may actually, we may never achieve that dream. Remember, Konza City was a smart city. I think Kenya was one of the first African countries to ever propose a smart city. But until today, when are we? We are mm -hmm. in 2023. We still don't have the smart city. So what is this big promise we have with the digital economy? Oh, we need to empower young people with digital skills. When we are not providing any legal framework to actually sort of protect the rights of the people and cultivate the promise, the big promise. So for me, the tragedy is the national government is actually a key element of the digital colonial apparatus. And it's akin to when colonialism was active in Africa. It's almost like we haven't moved on, but this time round, we are the perpetrators. We are perpetrating it ourselves. Nobody has come and put a gun on our heads, but for some reason, we are so powerless, helpless, and you know, hopeless to actually bring the big tech to the table and tell them, this is the rules of the game. For you to be able to operate in Kenya, this is what we want from you, so that the digital economy can thrive. And I know that's a huge and a very ambitious statement to make, and there's a multi-layered conversation that can actually go into that. But I want us to actually conclude by everybody giving a really quick summary of what is the net effect of the digital uh, service tax controversy to the creative economy industry in Kenya. Let me, let me conclude from my end and just say, I mean, the huge effect for me is that, yes, eventually, I mean, it's implemented, Yes, people, because I mean, for a lot of uh, organizations who couldn't be bothered as far as taxation is concerned for the other party, they will want to implement in the sense that they will, they will, you know, charge you, you know, they will take away their amounts for themselves to pay. They will also make sure that, you know, you are left to your own whims to find a way to pay. But for me, it's not even the feeling or the thought or the hullabaloo or the noise that we make. For me, it's just the clear lack of vision uh, for a lot of governments that have been there in time since digital agentization, the lack of understanding and knowledge on the topic, just the idea of what is digitization, just the idea that we have a lot of people who very respectable, people who actually want the best for some of these industries and some of these processes. But like Teddy said, we have not strengthened our institutions. If as a police officer, I, am, I do not have a car to go and arrest 
somebody who's just been violated. So what is the point when we say that we have the best judiciary when it comes to, let's say, you know, finding culprits of gender-based violence? What's the point if I cannot be able to implement a law? Then the same thing, if a poli police officer does not know what Instagram is in 2022, 2023, well, then what are they really implementing? Who do I run to? Who do I mm. go to? When the own, when our own, you know, sort of avenues for content creators to be able to reach the government are not digitized. I cannot go online, write an email, complain or ask for something or go to a forum and be able to get a response. If I still have to go to an office and get a token to be able to meet someone in charge who still I am also now when I meet them, I am now also telling them about the industry. So what is this digitization? What are we talking about? So for me, the issue here is that there's no clear picture from the government in terms of what this industry is about. We are very reactionary. We are not proactive at all, but also it's a challenge to content creators. Please, if anything, have representation. Governments will not deal with individuals. They don't deal with the noise online. They deal with organizations and representation. We must make noise, but make noise to people like Eddie, to people like Rama. Not make noise while you're driving that hired car and expect the same government to listen to you. So I think representation is very important. And other than that, governments are always going to want to milk the people. Will the cow allow itself to be milked by the government? Very good. Spot on. So, Teddy, from a legal perspective, what is the net effect of the DSDN across, you know, different actors within the ecosystem? Okay. So from my legal perspective, there's going to be a lot of tax evasion and avoidance. So if the government wants to achieve at least to increase the tax base and all that, they need a rethinking of this tax. That will be ideally be it. Because you see, just like the housing levy, everyone will say that if this thing was put at 0 0.5, then they will be compliant. If you put a big amount of percentage of somebody's income that going into tax, many people will avoid it. Many people will evade it. All right. And that has a financial aspect to it, which Rama will speak on. Then ideally, in terms of training, I think there needs to be a lot of training so that we understand mm. of this tax. Let them engage policyholders. Let them engage consultants who are knowledgeable in this field. Right. Rather than just cut and paste. So for me, that will be it. So that we have a, a bit of a, a legal review of all the laws governing these tax. And, and how the policies are able to be implemented. So that if, mm. if we have a judge who actually understands mm. it and says, I, I understand this tax, then issues of double taxation will not arise. Right. Right? As, as Anto was saying. You know, somebody will say, okay, this tax amounts to double taxation. The next thing the judge will do is declare it unconstitutional. That's it. Right. So we need a bit of training, we need a bit of review. That will be the baseline for it. Good, um, very good. And Rama, from a business, you know, an economic and financial perspective, how do you see this playing out? Well, every single analyst I've spoken to before the debates on, on the finance bill, after it became the Finance Act of 2023, including now during its suspension, the general consensus is that this is going to do one of two things. One, it's essentially going to, especially in the context of everything else, that we're discussing. Because remember, if, we, if you're just Kenyan incomes for inflation between 2018 and 2022, Kenyan households were poorer in 2022 than they were five years um. ago. 
right? So we don't exactly have a lot of money to go around, number one. Number two, all this does, like Teddy says, is compel people to engage in tax avoidance and tax evasion. So now instead of, say, for example, Antonio Sol or other talented creators like himself working from Kenya, they might say, you know what? It probably might make more sense to sign ourselves to an agency in Mauritius and then have any contracts mm -hmm. sent over to that particular entity. Because Kenya does have a double taxation agreement with Mauritius, so perhaps there might be some ways of essentially lowering, lowering our tax obligations through that method. The thing that perhaps makes me saddest about this entire episode is that, yet again, this might turn out to be another example of Kenya and Kenyan politicians, Kenyan policymakers choosing to not learn from prior mistakes. I have right in front of me here the budget speech that the finance minister read in 2008. And at the time, he said, quote, in addition to making it possible for border border operators to graduate to faster and more comfortable means of transport, it has the potential to create wealth and employment opportunities for use in rural areas. So to encourage wider use of motorcycles, I propose to zero rate value-added tax on motorcycles with an engine capacity of up to 250 cc's. Now, I remember two years, actually less than a year after this particular proposal went into law, you and I could walk into a supermarket, could buy a motorcycle for less than a thousand dollars. Right. Today's enormous industry around delivery services, the fact that you and I can simply call someone, go into an Uber app and get groceries, medicine, fast food delivered right to our door. The direct result of that is this specific tax cut. And yet here we are at another opportunity to simply say, you know what, let's make it easier for people to decide what to do with their money. Let's let them keep cash in their pockets. Let's let households, businesses, and creators choose what to do with their money. Instead, government has chosen the complete opposites. And what I fear will happen is this industry will basically just either be sent underground or be killed. Good. And where, so I, I noticed like two months ago or something, the creators formed a union to fight for their rights. How far will this union go? Ultimately, I think it depends with how it's managed, number one. And number two, what tactics are they going to use to challenge mediocre policy? Because we've got to do it from at least two, two immediate angles come to mind. So obviously we have challenge laws in courts, which comes with its own costs, but public interest litigation is something that we absolutely need to pursue a lot more strongly. Kiong Tata has had a long history of doing that. Katiba Institute have had a long history of doing that sort of thing, but that's a method that I think needs to scale up. Number one. Got you. Guys, these groups that form, you must understand there's a reason why they do that. It's a means to an end. Representation is not for the creators. It is their, it's the proximity to power that they are seeking. Mm. Bingo. And that feeds into what I was talking about. Thank the you. issue is, even if you have these groups forming, are they actually acting in artists' interests? Or right. is this just one? Because the flip side of having an organized grouping is how do you guard against politicians or ministry buying out your leadership? Yep. Right? Where's your financial independence? Where's your policy independence? If you don't have those two guaranteed, if you don't figure that out yourselves within the group, mm. the in-group management, it won't really amount to much. Wow. True. That is such a sad we reality. Yeah. Does anybody have any final thoughts before we close? Just to say, this is a great thank you, Dr. Wangari. This, is a, and this shouldn't be a one-off. I feel like it should be something that, you know, that is, we can have an update of this conversation, but thank you for providing the platform. I think it's really 
really important and, and a really beautiful space to be with such beautiful minds. I think it was, this was amazing. I know, Rama, do you have final thoughts? And uh, Teddy? If he says it says too much, he'll be taxed. For <laughs> he might be taxed for talking. Teddy, do, do you want to send him a legal no, no, note? No, 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 just say thank you. Thank you so much for this. Yeah. That's all. I have really, yeah. really enjoyed hosting you guys and just listening to you talk. There's a lot of richness and provision of context into this very needed conversation. And I agree with Anto, this should not be the end of the conversation. This conversation does not need to end as a conversation. Can we influence mm. policy? Can we be in the task yeah. force of you know, the creative economy industry in Kenya, what can we actually do? So for me, I don't see it as just a conversation. I see this as a conversation starter. So yeah. I'm really, really grateful for you guys. Thank you for coming to the show. I think one thing we can conclude is that the creator economy in Kenya is at its nascent stage. The digital service tax structure was definitely rushed without due diligence. There was no clear stance. And the contra it's contradictory to, to the traditional known withholding tax. That's why we're talking about issues to do with double taxation. I will end with a quote from one person that I interviewed who said about the DST. He said, we do have gaps in law. The intent in the spirit of the DST is far from the freelancing ecosystem. And it's not until then there is proper measures that the government puts in place as well as interventions that then will allow the freelancers, aka content creators, to benefit equally even as they pay taxes. To me, that was very powerful, right? Which is everything we have said in this conversation. One thing that we've also established is that there's lost agency. You know, digital content creators feel like the government has a lost source of agency and the government itself has no agency in this matter because the platforms are too big and they're almost calling the shots. The content creators have no ways to air their grievances, which are largely misunderstood and unattended to by the government. And the imposition of the DST is unconstitutional, right? Because there was no public scrutiny and public consultation as is required by Article 10 of the Constitution. So the, maybe the next conversation will be, what do we do about this? Like, how can we help? How can we influence and formulate policies? Because we do know a lot of young Kenyans who are trying to make livable income from the creator economy. And we do know it's happening in other parts of the world, so it's also possible to happen in Kenya. Thank you so much for joining us. I am grateful and I wish you a wonderful evening. I know it's very late in Kenya. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you for listening to Tech Over Africa with Wangarin Jadi. If you liked what you heard, please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple or Spotify podcasts so we can spread the word and the story of a rising digital economy in Africa. For more details on this episode and its host, please visit wangarinjadi.com. Alternatively, follow us on social media. Just look for Tech Over Africa. This podcast is produced by Wangarinjadi and Podcast Carry.